welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Straight from New York. Yo, yo, this handsome man. Yo, yo, ah, yeah. Motherfucker. Tune in to Al Joe, the funk master. Watch your grill, yoga, knock out cold faster. Talking shit, now we talking facts. Where the mountain off the back, you in trouble, came to burst your bubble. I don't shelter punches. They find home on your mind about a double. This the weekly scraps. You don't need a map. GPS, I'm right here to lead a dash. The world doesn't know it needs, but I know the seas. Planet, fuck a name and the fame. Only legacy remains. Remember the name, Al Jermaine Sterling. It ain't shit, it ain't shit. Motherfucker. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly scraps episode 139. We are rocking and rolling. You'll see Vegas 34. It's upon us. It's this weekend. It's about to get crazy. Um, I was going to rhyme, but I couldn't rhyme something with weekend. Um, all right, whatever. Let's get into it. Um, obviously, we got a big main event. Jared Cannonier taking on Kelvin Gastelum. This is a big fight for the middleweight division. And you see me? I got on my Kamaru Usman swag right now. Oslo feeling like LL Cool J licking my lips on that Usman style. Nah, I mean, nah, I mean. I don't know where that just came from, but we got Jared Kennedy to take it on. Kelvin Gaslam, this is a big fight for the middleweight division. But before we get into that, I want to give you guys a quick recap. Obviously, we didn't have fights last weekend. I had a pretty good week. Um, it was such a blur, though, man. I got to go on set again for Law & Order. I got to do... One of the opening scenes they said for season two, um, you're going to see us hitting pads, me and another boxer out there from the Bronx, actually. I think he said he's from the Bronx, um, from that area. I'm pretty sure that's where we were. That's the location we were shooting at a gym. Uh, they have like a good connection with the people over there, so they allowed him to use the facility. And that was really cool because I got to meet Maloney. Um, not actually Maloney. I forget the guy's name. He played Bunchy in Ray Donovan. He was one of the brothers. Super cool dude, super like down to earth. I mean, we spoke for a little bit, not too crazy, like in depth. Um, him and the rest of the cast say they were looking forward to my fight and they couldn't wait to, uh, they can't wait to watch it and, and see all that. So uh, I'm just happy that this sport has allowed me to transition. And when I say transition, it, it not like I'm done fighting. Transition in the sense of like, uh, opening up other doors and other avenues to things that I can explore so that when I am done fighting, it'll be easy, as easy as possible in terms of maybe just sending out a few text messages, emails, whatever the case may be to kind of get the ball rolling on some other stuff. And um, you never know when that time is going to come. I've, I've talked to a lot of people about retiring. They're just like, you kind of just know when you're done and, uh, whether or not you can continue to compete at that level. I'm not looking to compete to be the second best, you know. If I do feel like there's no point in me becoming the, well, there's no chance for me to become the number one guy anymore, um, it might be that point where I'm just like, well, what am I doing it for? Am I just doing it for the paycheck or am I doing it for it because I love it, that type of thing. Right now, this pays the bills. I love the sport and I'm currently the best guy. Um, So... There's a lot that I've achieved and that I've worked towards to get and to get here has been the journey and has, like I said, has given me these blessed opportunities to meet so many great people and travel the world 
uh, I couldn't be happier to be in a position that I'm in. So as of right now, I'm not thinking about the doors closing or anything like that. But I did before a couple years ago tell my teammates and I said before in interviews that I plan on retiring at 32. I'm 32 years old now. July 31st was my birthday and got neck surgery. I feel like I got a fresh lease on my career. I thought by the time I was 32, I might have been banged up too much, you know, because my neck was killing me from years ago. So I was at that point where I was like, man, cutting weight sucks. I'm getting injured all the time. And I've had multiple surgeries. I'm at the point where I just, I, you know, I just want to make enough money. I bought my house. Like, I kind of know that around that age is where I want to be done. But now I'm here, prime of my career still, still competing with the best with the best guys in the world, still beating the best guys in the world. And that alone makes me uh, very optimistic about how much longer I could continue to do this. And when I see all the guys who are still competing, you know, I don't want to be that old guy, you know, that, that old guy who comes to a, a club or a bar where there's just young people all the time. That's just weird. I don't want to be that guy, you know? So when it's time to go, I hope I know when it's time to go. And, um, I can honestly say I could probably probably see myself having three more years in this sport. Uh, 35. I think that would be an ideal number. 36. And before that, I don't want to just keep pushing the envelope, pushing the kicking the ball down the, you know, um, moving the goalposts to when I want to be done. You know, I want to accomplish what I want to accomplish within this time frame, make my money, leave my name in the history books. And what else is there to do? You know, live life, enjoy life. Hopefully I have kids by then. Um, hopefully too. And, um, I could be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor and sit on the sidelines, coach, do some of this acting stuff that, you know, I'm enjoying right now. And hopefully it maybe takes off in a different way and enjoy my, my life with my wife and kids kind of thing, you know? So that's, that's kind of the way I'm hoping I can write my Cinderella ending to my story, you know? So um, got to do that. Like I said, this week I'm actually doing some stunt work. I don't even know the name of the movie I'm working on. It's just a guy I met um, through Jay Hyron, hooked it up, um, got to get me on the set for Four Life. I did a couple of days of some stunt work with those guys, and he's bringing me back, not to Four Life, but to another show. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a movie or a TV show, but it should be fun. Doing three days of work this week. It pay, it pays pretty good money. It's all back to back days, so I'm you know I'm gonna be happy to just bang out all the days and be finished with the job and this way I could focus on the training camp and if there's anything that comes up of note that makes sense between now and the fight if it's just like a one-off thing a one-day thing and it's going to be paid good money it's like why not just do it if I can move stuff around and still get my training in not just I'm not gonna go to training today I'm gonna do this you know because obviously I'm still in my prime of my career and I I'm not looking to get my ass kicked you know so I want to make sure I give myself the best opportunity to have success but as always, man, I'm training and um, I'm excited for the future, man. Um, there was something else I had wanted to mention. Uh, I'm drawing a blank, but it is what it is. Oh, well, I, I was getting this is one thing I wanted to touch on. Sometimes doing things with family is not always the best idea. Even though it's always with the best intentions, like let's make a family business. Let's do this where I can come to you and put money in your pocket. Well, long story short, I 
kind of did something like that with a rehab renovation from my mom's house over in the basement. Um, I'm going to be doing the, doing the kitchen next. Shout out to uh, Kevin Brahas. He hooked it up. One of my friends from high school, from middle school, was one of the guys I first, first wrestled with and at Turtle Hook Middle School. And he was on a wrestling team. And I we kind of went 50-50. Uh, I think he got a takedown. I got a takedown, if I remember correctly, like the hallways or whatever. And fast forward, I think he was only at the high school for like a year, whatever, wherever he went. Came back into my life. And um, through a friend that I know through family, you know, I don't want to give away any names or anything and uh, throw anyone under the bus. But long story short, he bailed us out big time, uh, helped us with the... Uh, the walkout entrance from the basement helped us patch up a leak in the foundation, helped us with uh, grading the grass so that the landscape goes at a at a grading level so that when it does rain, it downpours and gets out of there. He covered up the the um, the basement windows with cement block to not allow water to seep in when it does full up in the grass. For some reason, I think it's just the way that they built the foundation. It's just a little um, wonky, whatever. Um, but he did that. He did the driveway. He did all the way down, added a step from the, the the kitchen entrance and made it a little bit more level so that when you go out from the kitchen, you're not taking one huge step down to get to the pavement, um, to the ground. So from that side entrance, he put a step in the middle to make it a little bit more balanced so that we could take a step. So, so it's a two-step process. You open the door, you step down, and you step down again. And then now he's going to be working in the kitchen. But then he had to fix the basement because I had some family, um, like a uh, like second cousins kind of thing, had them fix the basement. And man, I, I, I'm not one to be super picky but when things are done and you're paying for it, you want them done the right way. You know what I mean? So that's the way I look at things. And we got into a little bit of an argument and it was pretty much saying I was nitpicking and I'm saying that I'm not trying to nitpick. And I had to tell him like, and I don't know if it was because it's family. I, I go like, if you went to anybody else's house and obviously he's black. And I said, if you went to a, a rich man's house and you did this work like this, do you really think you would get paid? Like, do you think you could get them to pay you for this type of level of work in terms of the finishes where the mosaic in the bathroom trim, they're dented. They have like curves in them because they're not all flush and flat. Some parts where they use the um the trim, they're uneven and not uneven by like a, a like a millimeter, two millimeters. I'm talking like half an inch, a centimeter, uh, where it goes from wide to thin. And I'm just scratching my head as I'm looking around. I'm like, this guy told me he walked around and he okayed everything and told me to make him a punch list. And in my head, I'm like, you looked at everything. So in your eyes, this is acceptable work. And I only went to him because I've seen some of the pictures of his other work that he's done in restaurants and businesses. And I'm like, yo, man, you've got a good eye for like decorations and what decor should be used, the color, um, the color schemes, whatever. Because he's like, yeah, I did all this. I picked out this. I'm like, all right. So I'm trusting this guy. So... 
this this is just so many things that went wrong. And I, I don't want to make this a whole vent out session, but he did the basement. He said we're gonna do epoxy on the floor. Then he's like, no, nah, it's not gonna look good. If we epoxy the floor, it'll save you money, but now we can't we can't do it anymore. Okay, we're gonna level it. He told me we'll level the floor. He said it's gonna cost thousands of dollars to do the leveling because the leveling compound bags are like $35 a bag. Okay. Okay, we checked. The, we only need about three, four bags. Okay, now I come back. The floor is leveled and the tile is uneven. And I'm asking him what happened. He said, you remember I told you it would be thousands? I'm like, yeah, but you also told me we would only need three, four bags. And I gave you the okay. Okay. Then he, the electrical hi-hats there's like cutouts around it where it's such a huge gap. I asked them to fix it for the punch list. They fixed it. Come back. Those ceilings are white. Like the, the paint that they use was the wrong paint and the light is left hanging out. And I'm like three days pass and I'm go, I had to send a text and be like, hey, I sent a picture. Like, are, are we going to fix this? You know, the paint, whatever. And said it would fix it. I don't think they did it yet. Going to have to follow up with that today. Um borders the basement when you go to the top of the basement so when you're coming from the basement you go to the top of the steps the door moldings old raggedy ones that was from the house when it was pretty much first made or whatever he said that one of his workers that came to do the punch list said that uh that's not that's not the basement this is not the part of the basement and i'm just like so you took a step down into the basement but this is not part of the basement i'm just super confused on the logic. Okay, next thing. The bottom of the stairs, there's gaps and, and grooves missing with grout. Nothing patched up. So then they come back, they fix it. I'm like, why didn't they just do that the first time? Then there's a storage area. Instead of them cutting the towel the same direction as everything else, they decided to just layer it down step by step, side by side. Nothing staggered, nothing. So the rest of it's staggered in like a three-part increment. So you have a 12-inch... Or 12 feet. No, no, not 12 feet. The long one, like uh, 24 feet. So, uh, and, wow. 24 feet would be ridiculous. 24 inches of the, the, the wood. So I asked him to stagger into three. One. So you stagger it. One, two, three. So now you have it different layers. So it looks like steps when you're coming down. Okay, we pay for all that. Then in the, that area, the storage area, they just took it and they put all of it side by side and like... Almost like you just stack them in rows and just place them down and put it down. I'm just like, why would you do that? And if you told me you saw it, how can you okay that and think that's good business and right for you to leave it like that? And then you're telling me that I'm nitpicking. Long story short, he took off a $2,000. I wanted to take off half, but then I was threatened with, with court. Um pretty much would say I might have to see you in court kind of thing. And in my head, I was like, I had a couple of options. I would believe that I would win the court case. He told me four weeks. The job took from the end of April to last week, August. So we have the end of April. So we just say May. We'll say May, June, July, beginning of August, halfway through August. So three and a half months to complete a basement because he said i kept changing things all right in comes kevin brahas who did all the other work he watched this guy work he watched him dig up a whole thing and patch up everything in two days two days for the foundation dug down deep into the ground 
two people. Two people. You have all these guys here, blah, blah, blah. And took you three and a half, pretty much four months to complete a basement. And you guys still did everything kind of wrong. There's like little gaps and grooves. The paint's still missing in certain. And I'm just like, I just want, I just want you guys out. I just really want you guys out. My sister's pregnant. The basement's for her and her boyfriend. I just want you guys out so they can feel comfortable. She's due next month. And I'm just like, you know what? Sometimes it's better to just walk away from the problem. So I was like, you know what? I'll take the $2,000 off. I paid him. I was like, never again. I hit my boy up that I gave referrals to for him. And I said, don't have him touch your house. I'm telling you right now. If you, unless you want your house to be tied up and not have access to it for months, unless you want to have all types of issues where the contractor should be giving you recommendations because they understand way more than the customer does, unless the customer is a contractor themselves. And then they're going to tell you that you didn't make this recommendation or you didn't ask for this specifically. There was no blueprints. I'm like, I trusted you. I asked you for your recommendations. You tell me you put, you made the basement and didn't put an extra heater in there. And you said that you thought I was crazy because I didn't have enough heat in there. So why wouldn't you suggest that? Oh, you were trying to save me money. Dímelo. Mira. How are you trying to save me money if I'm going to have to come back and open up the walls and add plumbing and have them move this and have them move that when everything was already torn down? Why would you not make the suggestion there when I'm already thinking I'm implying that you're going to make this a livable space? We have the separate entrance. Everything is going to be legalized. Why would you not put proper heating in there? I'm like. Because you're trying to save money, the, the, the logic of you're the one who's overseeing the work, why would you not recommend to your client that they should have a good amount of heat source instead of saying, boy, this guy is crazy because he doesn't have heat in there and keeping it to yourself. Like, what are we doing? What are we like? We kids? Like, how do you make a... That's I call it a mistake, but for him, it's like, no, no, I was trying to save you money. I'm like, no, nah, bro, that's just stupidity if you ask me ask anybody who doesn't do contracting work because most people they don't i know it looks good i know it finishes i can go to the grooves and look at the grout and i can look at the colors and the clashing and whatever and i can see the style and the way everything was laid i could tell what looks professional and the work done wasn't professional in comes kevin brahas came through change everything out from the backside in five days five days he was working on another project i asked him i was like please I really, really need it. I know you guys work fast. Um, he's, he offered to work in the afternoons from the evenings to night. So he was working from, his guys are working from 4 to 9 p.m. He said one night, my mom told me one night, they were there till 10. And they they just moved that quickly. So he changed out a lot of stuff, changed out the molding that wasn't part of the basement. Moved the closet so that the, a bed can actually fit down there. Put it on the opposite side, open up the walls, made more space for the natural light to come in. All the things that I wanted and discussed that were just done incorrectly and that just really, really just like left a bad taste in my mouth about hiring family. So there goes that. And um, that was my rant. I know that was really, really long, but whatever. (laughs) This is not even about a podcast anymore of MMA. This is about my venting sessions.
All right, Jared Cannonier taking on Kelvin Gaslam. I think this is a really good fight stylistically. I do think Kelvin Gaslam has all the tools to to win this, though, in my personal opinion, because I feel he's the faster fighter. I do think he's a, uh, a little bit younger as well. He's going to be the much smaller guy in there. He's 29 years old. He's 5'9", used to fight at 170. Cannonier used to fight at heavyweight. He's 37 years old. He's 5'11". He is a big guy with a big frame. Lost to Robert Whitaker. In a really, really fun fight. Now, the thing about this, to me, I just, I, I'm i nervous for for Gasolum because the power of Cannonier can really separate him from his consciousness. And it's just a big size difference. And Gasolum has always been the smaller guy in a lot of these previous fights. But it's just one of these situations where I do think... It's just going to make things very, very tough for him when you have a power puncher like Cannonier. I think he's going to have to make this a very, very grinding fight before five rounds. Gaslam has been in so many wars already. I really don't know how many more of them he could be in. But I feel like Gaslam should win if he can keep that pace and avoid the big shots of Cannonier. We've seen the ground and pound. And when he touches you, man, guys go to sleep. So that's the X factor. This kind of reminds me of a uh, Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gan, because you know Gat, um, KG's gonna be on his toes, bouncing that southpaw, looking for that straight left, which he always catches people with. Uh, always an exciting fights. I'm still leaning on the side of KG. I think he's still got the tools and the the fighting spirit to get it done. I just know if he gets clipped. That can pretty much be lights out, man. Cannonier hits hard. And from there, Gasolum getting rocked. We've seen him against the Whitaker fight, I think it was. Uh, yeah, the Whitaker fight. Um, Heinzenich, he won that one. He lost three. He lost to Hermanson, who Cannonier knocked out. He lost to Darren Till, split decision. He lost to Israel Asani in a war. So he hasn't fought much since that title shot that he had against Israel in that interim title fight. But it's a very, very interesting fight. I, I just think KG has to fight smart. He has to look for the takedowns. He has to gr- make it a grinding fight. And if he could do that, I think he has all the tools in the world to win. Um, Cannonier, we like I said, he has one of the most devastating ground pounds. Like when you're down there and he can get you in the close quarters and he uncorks, man, you're like finished. And I know I said Derek Lewis, but also reminds me of like Engano. Because it's just like the ultimate equalizer. If you get cracked by a guy like that, he's going to put your lights out. Um, But this is a fun fight. I do think Cannonier is a slower fighter. We we saw him in the fight with Robert Whitaker. But like I said, he's got the long reach. And let me see how how long his reach is again. It is 77 and a half. And KG... Is 71 and a half. Yo. <laughs> Yo. I, I almost feel like I want to change my pick. Um, I don't know, man. Now I'm on the fence about this. I, I think this is going to be a very tough one for KG, man. But it's a fist fight. Anything can happen. But five rounds. Uh, can KG outlast Cannonier? I think it's going to be a fun fight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with KG. I'm going to stick with KJ. I think... Ah, damn, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not picking anybody. I'm not picking anybody in this one. I changed my mind. <laughs> All right, Komei Nivek, 
Clay Guida versus Mark Madsen. Tough fight for Clay. Uh, Mark Madsen, 36 years old. Obviously, Clay Guida is a tough veteran, 39 years old. He's been around the block. And he's on a one-fight win streak over Michael Johnson. Unanimous decision. Grinded the crap out of him. Uh, Mark Madsen... <clears throat> he's undefeated. Austin Hubbard was coming on strong in that last one that he had. And that was back in 2020 of March. So he hasn't fought in a while. So this is a big one from big opportunity to take out a veteran in Clay Guida and really continue his insurgence forward. Matson is 10 and 0. Clay Guida 36 and 20. Now we know Matson is going to be the grinding grappler. Greco-Roman, going to keep the pressure on, on Clay, but Clay doesn't get tired. He'll stand up a hundred times. He knows how to wrestle himself, and he knows American wrestling. It's not the Greco-Roman where you can't touch the legs. It's going to be a different style of attacks within the body lock game that uh, Mark Madsen is used to. I think Clay can take him down. I think the striking that he opened up and displayed in his last fight against Michael Johnson can pose some problems for Mark Madsen, who... Seemed like he was fatiguing pretty, pretty hard against Austin Hubbard. So that's why I don't really, I can't I'm not counting Mark Madsen out. It's only a three-round fight. But I think Clay Guida, Clay Guida having the experience that he has is enough for him to get the job done and really, really have a huge upset in this lightweight division. Um, don't be surprised if Madsen can dump him on his head a couple of times. But like I said, American wrestling is so much different. Um in terms of the control, and I think the striking, the striking of Matson was very, very green when we last saw. And if he didn't close that gap as much as he can within that last year and a half, uh, that's going to be a big problem. Because Clay Guida has made those 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 strides, and he showed it in his last fight against a guy who knocked out Dustin Poirier, against a guy who beat Tony Ferguson, against a guy who beat um, it, it was another guy he had beat. Uh, I think Edson Barbosa. At a point. So it's, um, let me make sure I, I fact check that. Who Michael Johnson beat. Michael Johnson at a point beat like three guys in the top five. <clears throat> uh, Edson Barbosa, I was right. Joe Lozano, he beat a lot of good guys. He beat Tony Ferguson, Dan Castillo. Yeah, man. He beat a lot of tough guys. Okay. Now, moving on. I, I think I like Clay in that fight. There's a couple of other fights. Austin Hubbard that we just talked about taking on Vince Pichel. This is a tough fight. Pichel looked good in his fight with Theodore Roosevelt, I thought. Um, Austin Hubbard kind of alternating wins and losses. Lost in his debut. Won, then lost. Then won, then lost, and then won. So he's kind of on that roller coaster of a career. Just kind of up and down, up and down. He won his last one. By the odds of the way things were going in his career, you would say that he could potentially lose this and can keep up that trend. And Vince Purcell on a two-fight win streak, Jim Miller and Roosevelt Roberts. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Austin Hubbard's a tough dude. Uh, Vince Purcell seems like he's got some solid grappling. You know, he, for him to do that to Roosevelt Roberts, who I thought was going to be the better grappler, that caught me by surprise. Uh, he lost to Gregor Gillespie by arm triangle. Austin Hubbard, I don't know if he's much of a jiu-jitsu guy. He just seems like a well-rounded kid. Um, let me not call him kid. <laughs> like I'm that much older. It's just weird. It's just weird. I felt weird even saying that. 
He's 29 years old. I know I'm older, but still, it's just weird. Yeah, I don't know. Because he got grappled to death by Mark Rorschach, and then he made um, Rorschach quit. And then he got grappled to death by Mark Madsen, but then he almost broke Madsen by just keeping the constant pressure on him, you know? So is it, this is a tough one. Um, we'll see what happens. I do think... I was going to say... Uh, I do think Vince Purcell has experience on his side. He's a little bit older, too. <clears throat> 38. Yeah, man. I I think also Hubbard, this should be enough for him to get this one done. Uh, another fun fight. Alexander Pantoja versus Brandon Royval. This is going to be a banger. Royval, obviously, we saw the craziness when he came to the UFC. just started sprinting, taking on the best guys. Almost took out Brandon Moreno, who's now the champ. He's only 29 years old. He just has a funky style. Beat Kai Cotter France, choked him out, guillotine in the second round. Beat Tim Elliott, choked him out, arm, uh, arm triangle. Beat Nate Williams, an LFA uh, arm bar, submission specialist. <clears throat> um, lost to Brandon Moreno due to like a shoulder injury, and then he got grounded pounded. He fought Casey Kenny before, so he came up to the Bantamweight division. Was it at the Bantamweight division? Um, no, it was actually Flyweight Championship. Fought Casey Kenny at the Flyweight Championship. Wow. That says a lot right there. So he's beat some good guys, man. Nick Urso, he lost to him. He beat Jerome Rivera, who was in the UFC. I don't know what the UFC's deal is with LFA, but it seems like they signed a lot of these LFA guys. Um... Even the guys who are like one and two or two and one or on a three fight one streak in comparison to some other promotions. I don't know if they just think the LFA promotion is that much tougher, but I don't know. I really do not know. But it's cool to see that they're giving people a shot, even though they're not undefeated prospects, because that's what it was seeming like before. If like you had a loss, it was going to take you that much longer to get back in, to, to get in or to get back in. So fun fight with Brandon Moreno landed like the spinning elbow cracked room on Moreno. I think he dropped him then got into like a weird position where he shoulder popped out. And I think he was a pre-existing injury. I think we talked about that before after the fight. And then um, Moreno pretty much just poured it on. Then Moreno for Davidson Figueredo like three weeks later and then blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, it fought, was a draw. Then he fought again. Um, yeah. And now Brandon Moreno is the champ after having a full training camp. Training camps matter, man. Training camps matter. Uh, Alexander Pantoja, tough dude, Brazilian guy, was an ultimate fighter. He's 31 years old. His last one was a win over Manel Cop, who just had a beautiful flying knee knockout over Ode Osborne um, in the first round, which was crazy. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what side to lean on with that one. I think Pantoja had a really good fight with Figueredo. If I remember correctly, he beat Figueredo. And then lost to Snell, and then lost to Ask, then beat Matt Snell, then lost to Askarov, and then beat Manel Cop. So he's kind of been up and down too. He actually beat Brandon Moreno before. Did they fight on the show? They fought on the show, and then they fought in the Ultimate Fighter Fight Night One Twenty Nine. So it, that one's a tough fight. I, I'm leaning towards Roy Val. I think Pantoja has gotten a lot better, but Roy Val just brings an X factor with his style, the grappling, the pace, and I think that makes things very, very different and uh, difficult for most people to, to match that type of pace and uh, keep up with his submissions because he just slaps on submissions from every single position. He's scrapping from every single position. I hope... Let me just turn this off because I hope it's not like... Eh, I think it's okay. 
right? I think it's okay, guys. I was looking at the fan. I got the fan on in the basement. Um, not sure if it's like causing any like reflection in the mirrors or the walls or anything. Hopefully not. This next one, um, Brian Kelleher taking on Domingo Palate. Palate. Uh, Kelleher hasn't fought since February, taking on Dom- Domingo Palate. His last fight was Ricky Simone. He, it was a na- unanimous decision loss. Got out grappled. Um, really fun fight. Kelleher just couldn't seem to catch on to that guillotine, which I thought he would just land it because he always does. Um, his fight before that, he submitted Ray Rodriguez. And before that, he lost to Cody Stamen. And before that, he was on a two-fight uh, KO streak, actually. No, no, not KO streak. Finishing streak with a, uh, a knockout over KO, TKO over Hunter Azor. And Ode Osborne, he hit him with a guillotine in the first round. Uh, Domingo Palate, 8-2. and two. He's 6 feet tall, fighting at this weight class. I don't know how he makes the weight. He's 74-inch reach. Um, he had a no contest with Journey Newson. Not sure why that was a no contest. Overhand right, KO. Hmm. Ends in no contest, but why? But why? I wish they said it on here, but I don't think Typology has all that information. Hmm. No, it's not saying it. I can't find it. Doesn't say anything. So, oh, originally a win for Newson. The result of this fight was later changed to a no contest when he tested positive for marijuana. Looks like Tapology is on it, man. They here. They got. They got the shits. They with the shits and they got the shits. And if they got the shits, they need to go to the bathroom quick. I'm right. I'm rhyming now. Uh, before that, he lost to Felipe Calades. In the UFC, and before that, he beat Vince Morales on the Contender Series. Adrian Giannis, he beat him by split decision. Uh, Chris Farm. So he's for some tough guys. Adrian Giannis is a tough fight to go split decision with him, get the dub, beat Vince Morales. Uh, so he's for some UFC caliber guys. His height for me would be a problem because he's just so freaking tall. It's like, what do you do with a guy who's got a 74 inch reach? Kelleher's got a reach of like 67, if I remember correctly. His reach is 64. No, even shorter than I thought. So, yeah, that's crazy. This is going to be a fun fight. Kelleher brings it. Uh, sometimes it takes him a little bit to get going, but once he feels the confidence, he'll just bite down his mouthpiece and really just start to let go of that left hook that he throws that he calls the boom, boom. I haven't trained with him in a while, though. So it'd be nice to go over there and get some work in with him. But obviously he's fighting this weekend. So I'm a little bit too late. Um, last thing I want to say is, I, oh, yeah, I finally bought a printer. That was the other thing that I want to mention. I don't know how I've gotten this far as a athlete and as a professional when I was student teaching and doing teaching without, the, without a printer, guys. Guys, my life is about to come so much easier. I bought a company called Brother. Uh, supposedly this supposed to be a really, really good one. Good brand that most businesses are using now over HP. And then I found out from the guy at Staples that he said, nobody fixes printers. Nobody. You just replace them. And I'm like, so I could have bought a $500 printer this year and I would have to replace it. That makes no sense. And that's just absolutely crazy to me. So I bought a four-year warranty. 
you know how to tap in on that. Um, just in case anything happens, they said just bring in the warranty, whatever, blah, 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 and they'll replace it. Sounds like a win to me, if you ask me. But then this is the crazy part. I spent $1,000, a little less than $1,000. The printer was about 400 Okay, so the printer was about 400 right? All right, so that was so right. So I bought the printer. It was about 400 And then I went and I bought the ink. The ink alone was $99, man. So I bought the black ink. It was $99. I'm telling you, $99.99. Then I went, I bought the color. The color. I needed three cartridges. I thought it was just one cartridge that gives you all the color. No, you need the cyan magenta and the other thing so i got the three cartridges right and let me tell you 99 dollars and 99 cents each so 99 99 99 i'm spending money out here i'm out here making it rain then you got the taxes then you got the 60 dollar the, the 40 dollar the 60 dollar four-year warranty i could have got the two-year warranty but that would have been 40 dollars. so it's like for another 20 let's add on another two years what's the problem so i got it done and i got that you know and then i had to get the paper gotta get the papers get the papers they call me joey two times you know so once i get everything i get everything at the, at the get to the register so i'll get to the register right so i get to the register right and the guy cashier he rings me up he rings me up and then i'm starting to pay the monies pay the monies and i see that everything costs a thousand dollars well not a thousand dollars but at least like just about a thousand dollars and i'm like i can't believe I just spent so much money when all I wanted was a printer. And that's my story. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you guys for always tuning in. I'll catch you next time. If you like my shit, subscribe to my shit. I'll spin it back, this baby. Peace. And remember, we bring the noise because the people want the funk. Until next time, this is the weekly scraps. Bye-bye.